what did you watch? What did you watch? The bit. The bit. Uh, what were we supposed to watch, James? This isn't a bit. Uh, Michael, it's all right. We're supposed to watch 1999's Magnolia. <laughs> what did you do, Mike? I watched Mongolia. Mongolia? Is that yeah. even a movie? Genghis Khan becomes aware of the interconnectedness of all things. Oh, my God. 1998. Weird, <laughs> so weirdly close. One year before. So kind of the more seminal film probably just a meaningless coincidences as all coincidences are though ah now we're getting to it now we're getting to the nut the meat of the nut hey everyone (laughs) it's time for the meat of the nut (laughs) (laughs) stay tuned for more the meat of the nut uh this is anders sons i'm one of said sons michael swain i'm the other son abe epperson and as a as this sunset, another set of suns <laughs> covered the works of Wes Anderson and P.T. Anderson. Hence, Anders' <clears throat> sons. Y'all get it. You're and here. we do it in chronological order. We're not actually, we have alternated so far. Mm. Um, but this time, we continue that trend. I guess my point is next time we won't. We're not always alternating. We're sweeping forward in time. So... Our sweep last time brought us to Rushmore, Wes Anderson's Rushmore. Now we're pivoting, we're rail jumping, Jack Mm -hmm. and Daxter style, Mm -hmm. over to the Paul Thomas Anderson rail to cover Magnolia, 1999's Magnolia. This is all correct. This is all 100% correct. And we've covered it before. I think this may be the first time we've ever, other than, I'll say this, there was a frame rate, a film we covered on frame rate, that you know that like um they did on shooting threes and or uh maggie and adam covered on i'll show right, you right, something right, like right, that right. yeah but i don't think we've so robustly covered a thing before that we're gonna try and cover again right because we've done Magnolia. uh but yeah what wes anderson you know we'll have to do some frame rates on it is basically the idea as is often levied at act one of screenplays but mm-hmm. i think we can all learn from including the andersons it's like that's what makes it an arc. The characters start somewhere. And we started in a pro Anderson, more history, more history with PTA, pro PTA camp. Mm-hmm. But that gives us, I mean, if anything, if we follow a traditional arc, we'll end in the Wes Anderson camp. And you know us, we're just structuralists at heart. Yeah. We're yeah. we're 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 big into that. So I'll probably have a heel turn at some point and become a nemesis of the podcast. Uh Anything for a good story, Michael. Smith daughter, something. Yeah, some Mm -hmm. anti-Anderson thing. Anti-Anderson. Yeah. Okay. Neo. (laughs) Yeah. Neo. There it is. Listen, Neo. Listen, Neo. On this show, we cover things through three spectra. (laughs) Diegesis, pedagogy, and Mm -hmm. the matrix. (laughs) Um, Diegesis, pedagogy, and how'd he do that? How'd he do that? I have to, sorry, my pronunciation. Yeah. How'd he do that is the proper pronunciation of that word. Mm. And uh, that's, and that's the structure. See, we are structuralist consistency. (laughs) Um, Everything in its boxes. But what we've really decided, what I mean to say rather is that we're going to 
probably speed through diegesis a little. Maybe not speed through because there's plenty to discuss. Right. Um, <clears throat> Magnolia is a film that luckily there's enough to discuss multiple viewings. Like it bears up to that kind of scrutiny and repeat scrutiny. And there's still, you know, when we ended the conversation last time, where it's like, we could have kept going. This is that. We're going to keep going. Yeah. Um, but if you want the synopsis, listen to Framerate Magnolia. That's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really encourage people just to watch this movie. <laughs> you know, that's it's, true. It's one. There's so many reasons why it's a really hard to kind of say, okay, and this happens and this happens and this happens. We'll do that a little bit, but like it, it ha it's so interwoven, you know? Um, it's a meaty three hours. It's the, got a fair amount of nut meat. The structure itself seems hard to decipher because it has for the most part, the feeling of one long montage, but there is a structure. It's still three acts. It's just eight stories that develop simultaneously. And something that, yeah, well, that's, I wanted to ask, or I want to start from an interesting place. And I guess as a, as a brief synopsis, we'll just say that structurally it's like a number of montages set to music with scene work in between that usually also has score that carries mm -hmm. you through the scene in a certain way to sort of link the montages together, giving the effect of a movie that's almost entirely montage and, and really moves in the same way that Boogie Nights, like he pioneered this Very technique similar. in Boogie Nights, I feel like uh, much more than <clears throat> Heart Eight. And it's something yes. he's still playing with is what if the movie always is just rising, rising, moving, moving? Another movie that reminds me of that is Requiem for a Dream. Feels that way. Feels mm -hmm. like it's always moving constantly. We're just linking montages together with scenes, essentially. It's kind Almost of... like a musical without music. I wouldn't say it's like a creation of the 2000s, but like 2000s mm -hmm. was a very particular time for uh, especially American cinema, especially being influenced by Mexican cinema because of the films I'll mention by like Cuaron and Inaratu, um, they're like, uh, we wanted to fuck with time. We really, really wanted to do nonlinear film. This is not a nonlinear film, but I think it also did, it was around the same time that for some reason, a lot of film... Uh, I'll probably try to find a seminal film in which that's the case, or if you have in your mind, please comment. But there's at some point we were like, okay, we really want like um, Memento came out at the all, all during this time. We really wanted to like chop up a movie and see different configurations it could be in, which is not an experiment by any stretch of the imagination for the, the you know that part of the century, but it definitely became in vogue. And um, it has definitely propelled the editing structure that I would argue and the quickness of which that made TV more palatable for like just audiences, audiences and mass. On, yeah. yeah, especially quality programming. Because when you like, for example, take a stopwatch to like Game of Thrones, you'll notice that the average of that TV show's scene work is actually around under a minute. And that's because it move. it says... Only a few lines of dialogue move over. Yeah, there's four minute scenes and wide sweeping battles, but there's also mostly like just cut to a shot of, oh, this is what their circumstances are. Here's a character reflecting on that circumstance. Cut to next character. Um, and you get very much so the editorial flow of this 
kind of mo- modern sentiment, even though I'm saying that from 2022, uh, it's definitely was a thing in as early as, you know, 2000, 1999. Well, it's interesting. What I was going to ask is, so how, what was different for you this time, or if anything was different in the emotional experience of watching the movie this time, because <clears throat> I find that this movie does hit me at different angles. It does hit times, me from different angles. Yeah. You chanced on the main one I was going to bring up from my experience um, which is the realization that I've never had until this time mm-hmm. that it is in real time. Like it actually goes to significant pains to imply that this all happens over the course of four to six hours that could be simultaneous. This could be a play if you could watch all the locations at the same time somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, it's almost Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or uncut gems in that way. And I've never noticed that before because it ramps with it ramps and fucks with time so thoroughly that you assume like if I timed this out on a timeline on a graph, oh, I, I assume this would be all over the place. It's a bunch of random scenes that are all just happening, like a giant fire hydrant of of happening. And mm. no, it's as it's as uh like succinct and unified in time and place as Aristophanes would define a play. And if like right. Aristophanes, one of the first playwrights to find a play is like, it has to be, or Rising maybe I think of an Aristotle cla- uh, thing, but regardless, it used to be the definition of a play that, it's rising action that takes place with a unity of time and place. Like it has to right. take place in, in time, chrono- chronologically, right? Film is what started to, and literature, but uh, it took film a while to start disjointing time and interweaving and intercutting. These are all things that evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And I'll just point out that one of the howdy doodad factoids is that the teams, the trivia teams, when they're watching in the bar, trivia are the, or sorry, there's trivia happening in the bar as well. And the teams are the clouds and the frogs, which of course is a reference to it raining frogs. Mm-hmm. But those are also two Aristophanes plays, the clouds yeah. and the frogs. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it knows that it's kind of play-like. And mm-hmm. I it blows my mind that it's play-like because mm-hmm. I've seen it five times and it feels so filmic, so cinematic. It even refers to <clears> itself <throat> as this is a movie out loud, right? Right. It and has that yet, scene. It fulfills a play. It's so good. <laughs> it's yeah, we're very positive on this movie. And it's mm-hmm. like I, I think it's almost a kind of a joke at this point that like film students love this, or it's like, uh, it's such a film student movie to love. It's, it's true. film students American beauty. It's like American it's beauty. A but little pretentious. For adults. And you know what? Yeah. I'm gotten to the age. I was telling this to Mike off screen at one point or off Mike uh you know, I've gotten to the age where, I, you know, it's fine if by the end of a conversation, it's like, you're just pretentious, Abe. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. It is a little pretentious, but, you know, it's Oscar season, baby. Let's go. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I do have something that I did respond to this time. and But it's more cerebral, I guess. It's more of like the what I think he's going for. I had more thoughts and more like questions that I wanted to kind of, uh, didactically, uh, propose to you, but mm. that's for, I would say a good, the segment for pedagogy, uh, for right now, huh? Shall we, shall we move what? to the, the first 
of our strata. Oh, I thought we were in it. I thought that's what. Oh, we did were you doing announce right it and I missed it? That's on I me. I didn't announce it. Well, there's no sound effects, so this is a very stealthy that's podcast. That's true. That's Unlike true. some of our podcasts, we just kind of roll with it. We're, we're but yeah, I we're let's pass another checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Ding. And it's fucking. Uh, we're nothing without structure, my man. Diagesis. 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 Uh, yeah, I'll start just because I think it's f- interesting to mention the bookends. Very powerful first, f- you know, first two hundred seconds of a movie. It's three sure. stories. It's Ricky J. Uh, if you're familiar with that actor, narrating the circumstances of three bizarre crimes. The first is a murder in like 19 something oldie times. And it's basically the idea is three men killed a single man or robbed a man and murdered him. And their names create their names were green, Barry and Hill. And those were names essentially were, I believe uh, it's just where it was the, mill that he created or what was it i forget what it's where the robbery took place greenberry hill yeah it's just it points to a sign and yeah uh and then we have another segment where it's Patton oswalt uh and he is a scuba diver and then uh uh there's a fire uh at a forest and one of the planes that picks up water to put out forest fires accidentally picks up a scuba uh, diver. I had heard of this as like an urban legend. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we weren't synopsizing. Oh, I thought. Fully synopsizing. Okay. We don't have to do any of this. I'm just, I think it's, I think setting this stage just like the movie does helps people for the dialogue either way. But you're not going to do the whole movie, right? We don't need to do the whole movie. Um, I don't think so. And then. I think so, Tim. This the the uh, firefighter, the pilot of the plane, uh, shoots himself out of guilt because he had beaten up Pat Oswalt uh, days before um, due to just some work related nonsense at the casino. So, like, basically, he was racked with guilt. Everyone, everything is swirling into each other. You start to notice that the the consistency between those two stories are just how. There's coincidental details and trivia in a way. And the last story is a 17-year-old boy who we end up finding committed suicide, but not in the way you think, in that he loaded a gun the night before in order for his parents, because he was tired of life, he wanted his parents essentially to maybe kill each other because they're always fighting. And usually the mother picks up the shotgun and points it at the father. And it's just like, what if the went, what if it went off? Huh? So a 17 year old boy jumps off the roof, but while he's, uh, he's propelling down, uh, he gets hit by the stray bullet of the shotgun that he loaded the day before. So he was an accomplice to his own murder it ends the sequence, which also bookends the film because he kind of just says all the things that you just saw in the film Magnolia. Remember the three stories. These are like those. And his kind of last little bit where he reflects on it. Ricky J says these are not uh, something that just happened. It's not just one of those things. It's not a matter of chance. These strange things happen all the time. Essentially, all we're given in the intro is just the idea that strange occurrences occur. And the only statement that the film seems to have at this point is, but it happened. 
like that's strangely enough, which doesn't seem like much of an observation, but uh, my guess is Mike will have some things to say of why it might be. So the first one, what was the first one again? Greenberry uh, Mer- Greenberry Hill. Greenberry Hill is apocryphal, proven or pretty much debunked. The second one is an urban legend that is deep, large is debunked as far as I'm aware. And the third one's actually a thought experiment they used in law school to teach causation. Oh, like the legal definition of causation, which I thought <clears throat> I thought was interesting. Just because um, he did the action, yeah. Yeah. Of loading the gun. And it's interesting because I Googled for the sake of it, because I knew this was a movie where there would be a lot. I Googled what is the point of Magnolia? Um, <laughs> I love seeing what Google boils down into one sentence as like these amazing movies. Oh, what did, what did Google say? Like, what is the point of No Country? Um, they said critics consensus is it's a movie about redemption and forgiveness, uh, which is interesting to me because I do think there's a repeated refrain of, and it's basically those are the two main threads, but they completely miss out on the other thread, which is all uh, existence itself. And like the idea that, uh, whether anything has meaning Mm -hmm. or not. And boiling it down to the fact that that's fundamentally the only question there is that you need in order to live your life is like whether is everything inherently empty because it ends like is the fact that things are transient make them meaningless or superfluous. Right. Why not? What is hypocrisy? How far can you go? Why don't I? I know that there's starving people. Why don't I give away all my possessions and go just live giving things to starving people? Or uh, why don't I just kill myself since I'll inevitably die someday soon in the grand scheme of things, right? So what is meaning? Is there meaning at all to anything or is everything inherently meaningless? And this movie sort of starts by saying... uh, no stuff matters. And yet it's interesting because what I got from it very strongly this time is, but it still grants healthy human boundaries, which is a great take. It's a really good take is like, I believe it's almost the, a shadow of no country. And a lot of my favorite movies turn out to be existentialism in a nutshell because philosophies, schools of thought, schools of like, what is the grand answer to the grand question? Right. Um, a lot of stories are written around enshrining those ideas. And these are truths that we've come to again and again as living animals or thinking animals. So a lot of fiction I like tends to just be the existentialist ethos writ large, which to me in a nut, in a nut meat is (laughs) that everything is inherently meaningless, but that doesn't mean because of that, there's nothing to saying that the meaning that you create is any less or more meaningful. So like if you invest something with meaning, then it is because it is because it, it, it is meaning. Yes. Exactly. Like that ex- I think existence is, is self-evident as what it is. That's I all don't... it can be. And it... it's interesting that Magnolia, I'll wrap up, but uh, mm-hmm. tucks in the idea that, but, you know, if your dad molests you and that's over the line for you. That makes sense too. You can cut him out of your life. Like forgiveness right. is not a, uh, taken for granted all the time, just because because you have the ability to control the 
the definitions of the things around you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you have to forgive everyone. That's Here's right. some people who forgive each other. Here's some people who don't. There is, uh, there's a feeling of redemption in this movie because there's so many stories. There's about eight of them, but dealing with like mostly nine characters. And there is a feeling of automatic, like a lot of criticisms of this movie is that there's this feeling of automatic like forgiveness, uh, which is kind of what you're mentioning. That is what the movie is about. It's definitely about that. And it's also definitely about what you just said about the nihilistic indifference of like coincidence. But I actually find that this movie is mainly an appeal for feeling like they had to do a lot of the forgiveness stuff because you had to show well, at certain moment, Frank, Tom Cruise, is going to have some cathartic moment with his father. Not even forgive his it's father, but forgive. grant that he has feelings for him. It's yeah. not forgive. It's mainly appeal for feeling bad for things you've done. Now, it seems callous when you're talking about uh, in one circumstance with Jimmy Gator and his daughter, Claudia, um, he, um, he acts like not even accidentally, we don't know, molested her, um, because he was so drunk that he didn't know what mm-hmm. he was doing. Now that doesn't mean that he's not a piece of shit and doesn't deserve what he's going to get, which is cancer in this case. And, uh, I mean, even more so at the end a of the bullet movie, in the a head, bullet yeah. in the head, but he's then saved by a frog descending from heaven. That's what's interesting. A lot of people go, that means God, right? And well, so Tom Cruise's- and I don't think for- that's true. Tom Cruise's forgiveness comes in the form of, or we should say catharsis, comes in the form of actual catharsis, yeah. both parties. Whereas he has no relationship to the frog that falls from the sky. Jimmy Gator- Gator frog. Jimmy Gator's savior is just either God, the coincidence means something, or sheer coincidence. Coincidences are inherently meaningless, but they happen, and you can build meaning onto them if you want, and that makes that meaning valid. So, like, if Jimmy Gator turned his life around because of that, then it is what it is. Then he did that because of that, and it's accurate. But, like, it's interesting that his salvation is just forgiveness from quote-unquote God. Yeah. I... It's very clear that P.T. Anderson knows about what, like, cancer looks like. Because a lot right. of people who have seen cancer know a lot about, like, there's some quiet elements of it. And there's a lot of, like, it's such a cruel thing that I really do feel that this movie's coming from a place that it's not pointing to God. I, I think that that's entirely your prerogative if you wish to see that from this film and, you know, go with God. That's great. I think it's messier than that. I think it's about things like hearing victims. It's also about hearing things, hearing from villains. That's a strange place to go for a moral play, but it's trying to say that that's the result of a process and it's ultimately messy. Guilt doesn't mean you're going to find peace. It's not always the end of the story, just some stories. And it's tough to do. That's why I think he wanted it more and more. Like P.T. Anderson probably wanted more stories, more stories, because he wanted to create kind of cacophony to show the nihilistic effort that he's putting into some of the suggestions of the characters and narrators. I think that that is probably where it's coming from. It's not as different from our movie as I, as you might think, and I'm not trying to compliment us. I (laughs) just mean structurally. And it's not as different from uh, uh, Synecdoche as I think you would want to probably 
you know, say that it is. Mm-hmm. It's like that. I know something you're obsessed with. I ripped that imagery off from you is the fire hydrant of happening or the idea that the universe is not mysterious or unknowable. There's just a lot of it. Yes. Yes. I love that. There's a, this is going on a tangent, but I like the discussion. There was, um, back in the day, like early day, like, 2000s early 2000s i was on some website and like neil degrasse tyson had become a thing i forget who the the author of the particular quote was but there was like a forum or like a reddit post or something like that that was like hey uh this quote is essentially what like neil degrasse tyson was saying with like um like this is we're all made of stardust which mm-hmm. is just an echolette of, you know, Feynman's I am an atom in the universe, the universe of atoms, which is an echo of, you know, Carl Sagan Moby. saying, yeah, all Moby. it's all Moby. Point is this, I, this person posted something about how the thought makes them like the idea of being your atoms coming from stars, distant and, uh, unknowable. And that's your genetic makeup. And how you're just insignificant in the wide and vastness of the universe is sad. It's a lonely picture of the universe. And I disagree. Uh, as you know, I may be, a, I may be just Person a sappy like a fucking loser. Well, this is, well, here's the thing as I was like, I may just be a sappy little piece of shit, but I was like, I think it's the opposite. I, it makes me feel big. Uh, and I got downvoted. Makes, to hell. makes me feel like a big man. Makes some men feel big. Uh, and I got downvoted into oblivion and I, I, I always, that always stuck with me with the internet that, that this example is that I was always like, why? I don't understand why. Why can't we have both? First off, don't get angry for other people having different opinions, but also like, why doesn't it? I didn't understand. Why does it, I understand how it can make you feel small, but in the same gesture, it makes you feel very large and significant as well. You're the way, you know, like, you know, the universe and all that stuff. And there's something that I think that PT Anderson is scratching upon, which is that like, he knows that he's doing it because he's winking directly at it. When you look at what Magnolia is about, uh, you know, it's just documenting moments and the meat and like frogs fell from the sky. Weird of note, a trivia question, maybe. Why is it that two of our characters are trivia, uh, trivia like, uh, and to have cancer? It's, it's to compare and contrast. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and like, and so what's so significant about this moment? Why frogs falling from the sky in this moment? It's kind of an emotional crescendo for like eight people in San Fernando. Like, what's up with that? I think he's trying to just say, like, well, I'm not saying that they're connected. I'm just saying in their cars and houses at these moments, these people had something instrumental going on. Emotionally, there was a breakthrough or like a plea or a cry for help. That's just life happening. He's trying not to say anything. It's a nihilistic kind of thesis. It's not like it's the same as I would always think at the dog park. What if everyone's dog took a shit simultaneously? <laughs> sure. You, everyone's mind would be blown, but you all have to grant. I mean, there's nothing preventing that from happening. Like that's allowed to happen. Statistically, it would just be creepy as hell. Yeah. yeah, and I do think that it's that kind of statement. It is very much like No Country with the car accident that he walks away from. Um, 
And also, I think that there this movie has more of a get out quality than we give it credit for. For example, you mentioned that there's eight main characters and that they tend to exist in pairs of two. Mm-hmm. And there's even a shot where there's cable wrapped, uh, you know, to be put away, hanging on pegs on the wall. And they're hanging in the figure eight. Two and there's like all these references to A2 because Exodus A2 is the one about the frogs mm-hmm. in Egypt. So there is there there's a ton of Easter egg work. Speaking of diegesis, that like I now that I'm watching it more and more and becoming more of a fanboy and digging into it, mm-hmm. uh, came to the surface that I think is really fascinating, especially when you consider the PTA said that he put A2 in after he learned. So he he learned the frog thing, which is the one true thing, by the way, is that sometimes that has happened historically. In fact, it happened to uh, Philip Baker Hall when he was on vacation in Italy at one point is frogs rained on him. And that happens from time to time. There's also been I. So when I was a kid, we had these National Geographic, like, can you believe it books? And there was one that was strange occurrences and coincidences that I used to read obsessively. And I remember the three weird rains that it had. I can't remember the third one, but the second one was meat. It rained meat one time. And they found out it was because there was a super flock of vultures flying overhead, all vomiting. All vomiting. That's so fucking fucking awesome. And metal. and but the uh, but the one that's happened a few times is that a tornado goes over water, like a and water then disperses spout, yeah. over land and drops a ton of fish. What or a comes ton up of frogs. must go down. Yeah, yeah. So he chose that because he had read it as a trivia question and knew it was true, and he wanted to make a movie about coincidence that means something. And by coincidence, it turned out to also be a Beautiful. biblical reference, which he didn't Beautiful. know. Could that mean something? I'm just saying. No, probably not. But you know, <laughs> but are, he then bolstered people in this movie. There's he there's then bolstered that idea prayer. by putting eight two all throughout it quite intentionally. Yeah, which is, I think it's great. I think that's great. I also think that that's more to like. I think that that's that's kind of PTA doing a joke. He's like embracing he, coincidence, meaningless you, you coincidence. To, like, no, nah, well, yeah. But he's also saying, like, you're focusing on the wrong thing, right? Well, you're not, He's. I guess he's not saying that you're you not should really do or should do anything else. Yeah, you can focus. But I, I guess it's just like, that is such a, the whole idea is that it's trivial. It's a trivia question. Mm-hmm. Exodus 8 2, that's the one that talks about the frogs, you know, like, mm-hmm. the Magnolia doesn't. Magnolia is about that. It's about the trivial a- aspects about it. Who did the crime? Who is the worm? Like it's all this like. <laughs> Who is the worm? Yeah. Yeah. It's all these. By the way, all, that was going to be Orlando, Orlando Jones. Jones. Yeah. He's yeah. actually in the movie, but you see his only his back because they cut mm-hmm. his scenes. Um, yeah. Like you. That it, it's. These are of note. These these matter. But that's why like that's why it seems like the he has I think his like opening the prologue and the epilogue are so kind of cryptic or seemingly inscrutable is because it's like, what are, what do you want us to focus on then? What's your statement? If you well, have, and why that's why they're a, by a magician, right? Because what is this? A, Nature's magic thing. trick. That's yeah, what the exactly. coincidence is. Ricky Jay famous for being a sleight of hand magician. One of the best. So great. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's perfect. Um, but I think that that's, that's a lot of what's going on, though, is that he's trying to say something instrumental is happening and that something trivial is happening. And it's summed up by that's why, like, to me, 
that's why what's his face? The Stanley is like smiling at the end is because he's happy to be a part of like trivia. You know, yeah. something happened it, in his life where he actually is like, I'm a part of the thing that I study history. Yeah. And I also think I just mentioned because you just sparked it in my head again. But watching it last night, this sparked in my head multiple times is the Vonnegut quote that Vonnegut like is a Vonnegut ism like he uses it all the time, which is right. we don't know enough to know what good news and bad news is. You have an initial emotional reaction to developments in your life. You have no idea what the long term ramifications will be and Mm -hmm. you know that speaks to coincidence and i think that's a lot of what this movie is about is like interesting just to have different sages context stumble upon the same artifact and share it with the group like yeah yeah yeah, here's this and you're like here's this and you're like those are the same message but yes good reminder it's like the thought of like (laughs) looking at looking at like an old piece of like i don't know like a fork or a spoon or something that's been in your family for so many years and you just think about all the all the people who use that spoon ever put it eaten. in their right. put it in their god awful mouths, filthy history mouths. Yeah, and it's just like that is a thought that transcends time. Dude, did you ever play the video game Connections? No. It was a great point and click adventure game that I highly recommend. That I'll only tangent us for a second, where you would so you'd like solve a puzzle, like you'd learn how to. Uh, scan radium you know Mm -hmm. by building a little device and then it would tell you like the history of radium and how the guy who discovered Ah. it got sick or whatever and then uh it would be like and he wore ascots then you're teleported to like an ascot factory and you do a loom puzzle and it's and then it's like well this loom pattern is the same pattern used in biocircuitry for supercomputers og wiki hole it's a wiki hole game it's so good that's great that's great yeah but it's the same it's like the chain of happening that never lets up it will it came before you it will as i get older the artistic aspect of it really hits home to me like to see i understand why old people will just go well they already did that in 1924 and blah 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 you Mm -hmm. know and it's like man you there really is every story under the sun yeah comes around again i see that more and more that's what I think he's trying to get at. Maybe he's not saying it successfully with this movie, but it's that it's what you're kind of hitting upon, like the trans, like transcendental migration of like people of emotion or something like that. Like it, it's, it's about the movement between spaces. Everything's both a liminals. It's describing the structure of everything. There's a liminal spaces and there's destinations and the destinations are us who are works in progress, who have done terrible things, who carry our baggage through uh, the world and influence others with that baggage, but also give hope and love to people and um, give people reasons for living just as much as we give re- people reasons to hate us or hate themselves. It's like it, there's so much yeah. going on that it's hard to keep track of it because it feels like it feels like you're in the weeds. But I think it's all very structured. I don't know. It really reminded me of um, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, a book by Murakami, where who's famous for like dream logic and Uh has a thing where I believe she's trapped in a well or something and or a guy's trapped somewhere. And it cuts to another character who's in uh, an institution and it's Mm. night and the moonlight seeping in and hitting her skin. And she looks all perfect and pure and youthful and 
then he's not in the well anymore. And it says, because when, when a beautiful young girl dances in the moonlight, anything is possible. So, and like that has now affected the reality of the story. Like, you know, right. he's not in his predicament anymore. Right. And it, I had that same thought right. along those lines with the frog thing, because it's like interruption day. Look, yeah. look at Frank Mackey and his situation and everything. We slowly learn about him. Right. Do you think there's enough time or force left in this universe to get him to have a cathartic emotional moment with his father before he dies? To actually, it's gonna take a miracle. No, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna take a miracle. You're saying that that's the the movie's like, yeah, yeah. And then the movie's like, well, yeah, miracles happen sometimes. Inner Phil, yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's Philip Seymour Hoffman? Um, His character's name is Phil. I'm not just being. Do you think he cast him because he looks frog-like? No. He is the miracle. He's the living he's frog. The, oh, because he's a. You think he's a frog? You think he's represented by frogs? Phil Hoffman looks a little froggy. Well, little you know, bit. they do like a cartoon frog. Frogs are very nurse-like. <laughs> I don't know. Well, they puff out their necks, and he has All a. Right. He has a puffy pouch. neck. He, he has, has a. a pooch. He has a neck pouch. Yeah. All right. So do I. I'm not neck pouch. <laughs> rest in Philip. Rest in Philip. But like, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I do think that there is that kind of line about like, well, is it, is it, is it God? Is it something else? And I think that P.T. Anderson is like the little cherubic kid in the corner going like, I don't know. Like, I think that's a lot of what his movies are about. And I think that that's fine. I think a lot of people get frustrated by that because it's like, why did you take me on that journey then? Because if you look at the scenes, there's no denying to me he's not that just they're not just good know. work. <laughs> it's just he's saying engaging. I don't know. You decide, and that's actually I don't know, you empowering. Decide. That's empowering. Exactly. That's yeah. that's a better way of putting it. But when you look at the scenes themselves, there this one I it really brought into view because I would have probably answered this way even before this last viewing. But a uh, man, every time you see it, the singular performances of Julianne Moore. And Tom Cruise are mm-hmm. just nuts. Those, those, that pharmacy moment, it kills me. It's one of the most effective scenes I think I've seen in movies, period, for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you call me lady, suck my dick. You know, she's mm-hmm. so angry. And she has, she has just this, like what's amazing about it is that it's not only does she have that moment where she's telling off like so here's this there here's the context there is a semi-judgmental clerk at a pharmacy um who is throwing essentially just saying things like oh you shouldn't mix those together or man this is a lot towards Julianne while he's as- assembling her like order for all these different pills which are just a cocktail of cancer pills because her husband is dying and sh- sh- this guy thinks she's using which it turns out she actually does by the end of the film to OD but the assumption to her that she is the one who's like the cause of this problem. She did this or she's not dealing with it in the right way is absurd to her. And so she has this like righteousness behind her when she says all this stuff, which is just like, fuck you all. You don't, what gives you the right to judge me? And it's just one of the more powerful performances I've ever seen on screen. And then of course, Tom Cruise uh, uh living shit. Talking about bombing hottie heaven and licking the air oh, yeah, like that it's a pussy on one and end 
is just like that's a great character thing. Just like TJ Mackey is amazing. Oh, I'm beauty bombing a hottie heaven. <laughs> yeah, sausage. You know what I mean, baby? Yeah. And it's like, um, but he then has a moment I also, where he looks and, at his father and is like mm-hmm. bawling. And I don't think yeah. I've ever seen a uh, Tom Cruise performance like it. I think it's his best no, performance. No, no. It is. And uh, and the movie's just funny. Like the Tom Cruise contrast between we cut away from him and he's screaming, we are men. And then we <laughs> yeah. return. We cut back to him and he's going, and get a calendar. I can't stress that enough. Pick up a calendar. They're 99 cents at any office supply store. Mm-hmm. Like I just, there's just great uh, effortless, almost Pixar-esque. Yeah. Jokes that don't require any kind of edge or premise. They're just like quick contrast of tones that make you laugh. Much like in Heart Eight, the, you know, John C. Riley's pocket catching on fire. Mm-hmm. This is PTA's like sweet zone when it comes to comedy. I love one of my favorite uh, just j- joke lines. Funny moments. Even, yeah. It's like uh, when the frogs start falling, Philip Seymour Hoffman has the best line in the movie, in my opinion, which is, oh, there are frogs falling from the sky. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's his absolute. Oh, like he's so surprised is so amazing to me. It's he does not know how to react. Well, PTA is up there with the Coen brothers when it comes to scripting, painstakingly scripting, or maybe that he is embraces improv as well. I actually am not as familiar with the granular aspects of his process, but um, it seems to me that he scripts at least to some degree consciously scripts casualness. In a yes. way that is almost unmatched. I pride myself on that, actually. I think it's one of my strengths is naturalistic dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I still don't pull off tricks like uh, Claudia says, I have to tell you something. I have something to tell you. I never write shit like that. And that is how people talk mm-hmm. in such a veritas way. Like, that's so appealing yeah. to me yeah. when writers and the Coen brothers will also do that, where they script ums and ahs like to the syllable to almost make a sort of patter or a sing song pattern right. of like, um, uh, well, the thing you is, see, I was. Yeah. The thing is with Coen brothers, it's it's more it's more of a spectacle. More affected. Well, yeah, I would say it's more of a performance. I would right. say that it's um, there's a there's a true like you're you, when you see a like a character in a Coen Brothers movie and you're like that person totally exists like hook line and sinker I'm all in that person exists that is a complete person and it's also someone I've never seen before and it's also amazing um, but that's like present a presentation of a person that's like verisimilitude versus what you're talking about, which is like Veritas where it's, it's more of like, this just feels true to life. Like it's reflecting life in a way, as opposed to, I'm going to create a and enormous play that is going to be fun to watch and well, does reflect life and all that stuff. But it undermines the first lie that we all buy when we watch a movie or even read a book or most plays, mm-hmm. which is that people only speak efficiently about things that matter or are going to matter. And the reality, of course, as we all know, is that it's there's more long meandering. stretches of meandering small talk mm-hmm. in between islands of information where you're like, that was actually a very invigorating That's right. part of the conversation. That's right. And no one writes like that for obvious reasons, but to the point that when an author does write that way, I tend to think it means something. And in this case, it's kind of apparent, like 
he's trying to make you feel a that this universe is more real so that you'll be even more shocked when the frogs happen. Mm-hmm. But B, uh, the flow of dialogue takes on a randomness and complexity that mirrors the point of the film, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Like, of course they talk that way. Of course there's a bunch of false starts because the movie is about everyone's false starts in life that have, that have repercussions that ripple throughout the rest of their lives. Right. And in between this chain of happening of stuff that is cause and effect and causality, mm-hmm. which we're concerned with, uh, it's peppered with random happenstance. Those are the two forces, right? Chaos and order, the yeah. order of cause and effect and the chaos of random happenstance also, which is basically interference patterns from other cause right. and effect chains that you're not privy to, it's, which the wire handles really, really well. Right. <laughs> yeah. We've been, t- we've been hitting the wire a lot, pretty hard. A lot. Recently. It's time to rewatch soon. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I like that description of it or like a big pool with a bunch of waves and the waves kind of add to each other, subtract from each other. But there's just so much wave patterns mm-hmm. and they all are blasting into each other. Hey, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. That title card staring right at you after the three stories. But before we see uh, the first seduce and destroy ad, um, it's a blooming magnolia overlaid over the splain expanded structure of uh, San Fernando Valley or I guess L.A. in large. What does that mean? What is the title card read? Is it the weather report? It's it's just the thing that says Magnolia and oh. it's behind it it has a it's superimposed footage of a magnolia like time yeah. lapse it's Open, like yeah. blooming. Uh it doesn't close, it just opens and then stays there. But behind it is this kind of negative pulsing uh negative as in like film negative pulsing image of the over like an overhead top-down look of san fernando um which i assume that's all not only just t- telling us where we're gonna be um but like what's what's the connection do you, do you have a connection in your mind for what magnolias represent or what the action of blooming says to this story because i think that um, title card isn't in you know i if he's well, going to tilt his... I have a very strong theory about the title cards and how they tie into the score, uh, which I guess is diegesis or pedagogy. I got to be honest. I feel as like the, the title card of the segments of are the very Magnolia. murky this time. There's a couple well, of theories of course, online yeah, that we, are interesting, I was like, but I think probably not the heart of the like, matter. No, like no. One is Magonia is literally the name for that that effect when a when a formation of wind picks up a bunch of frogs or fish and dumps it it's called oh magnolia. interesting okay that um, sounds like magnolia i guess yeah but that but it's like who cares okay that sounds like magnolia i think it's uh something beautiful that once opened can never be taken back and each one opens in a unique way that is not possible to replicate yes. and there's no going back once it opens that's that right Yes, I think that's maybe in the way I described it, but also that's true about what we, the image we see. I think that's kind of close to it, is that all this stuff can form into this other stuff, and that's mm-hmm. kind of a miracle. <laughs> you know, it is kind of yeah. in the end, we are all made from stardust, but it's not done with like a scientific mind. I don't think P.T. Anderson really cares about the stars uh, or wants to make that particular observation. But he's kind of finding that 
himself just by well, looking the at title the emotional. Track is, the title track's blasting one is the loneliest number. Right. And in the movie, right, like, why do we forgive trespasses against us? Because when you are small and the universe is infinite, you'll go, you know, it's dark and scary. Don't go alone. Like, mm-hmm. connection is something all humans inherently crave. And good news, everything in the universe is at some level physically or, you know, electrically connected to everything else in the universe. Um, so I think one is the loneliest number is almost ironically applied. I would say it's even not fully ironically because people feel alone, but it's it's in by shouting out one is the loneliest number. He's actually pointing to how this is going to be about interconnectedness. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's interesting. Connectedness is a word that I react to when I think of this movie, because I don't think it's just about connecting the dots. It's about Mm -hmm. showing that everything we are all manufactured together. We are the anvils for each other you know like it's it's like saying like how we're formed how erosion breaks up a rock like well he's just depicting erosion it's crazy to me that when you consider that women are born with the eggs that they're gonna have throughout their life and those eggs turn into children and of those children some are born with all the eggs they're ever gonna have in their life right Mm -hmm. so at some point even your eggs were inside your mother meaning All of life, because even if you as you go back in time, humans merge with other life forms. Right. And before they branched off evolutionarily, all life is basically one ongoing chemical reaction that has not resolved yet. Yeah. And when the chemical reaction is happening to you, when it is in your head or it is events that you feel like you know, Donnie Smith, I think is his name. The, the William I have so much love to give and I don't know what to do with it. There's so much loneliness in this movie because I think Mm -hmm. that the chemical reaction that I think we're kind of alluding to, or the metaphor here is that it happens singularly. And so we are all alone in that regard, but just like the smile by Claudia at the end of the movie, where she literally breaks the fourth wall as John C. Riley walks in to t- confess to her, I love you and whatever you need, I'm here for you. That's all yes. I wish to say. She smiles and has has a look like she finally found something. Like her constant, the whole time she's been just a victim. And this is the first time that she actually doesn't have to be a victim. And it's a beautiful moment for her. And so it is kind of like, I don't know. The loneliness in this movie is abetted, like it's this oncoming storm that it only really has one story in it that it's like, I feel like these people are going to be okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you could only feel lonely. It's two sides of the coin. You could only feel lonely if you had the capacity to feel loved in mm-hmm. the same way that meaninglessness seems to beget or imply the shadow of meaningfulness and like... uh the same way that people on a message board can feel small because of the universe and that can depress them. The bigger the universe is, the more meaningful it is that you are unique and in the entire universe, there's exactly. no one exactly like you. Well, guess what? The universe is infinite. So what does that say about the uniqueness yeah. of your existence? As yeah. uh, one, as the Monty Python song goes, meditate on how incredibly unlikely was your birth. It's pretty right. mind-blowing. Well, it's about the... It's about the hypocritical aspect, I guess not really, maybe not hypocritical, but seemingly paradoxical aspect 
of being a part of the whole. Does that mean you're just a cog in the machine or does that mean you're unity with everything? Both mm -hmm. are apt description of being a part of a whole, right? right? You are a smaller part, but you also feel like you're the sum of all the parts too. So it's like that's Ask an ant. Yeah. So it's fundamental stuff. It's like team building stuff, you know, but in the end, uh, the nuanced character dynamics and all the small talk, they're just, it's just a really good film, I guess. I don't know. I love mundane details that color life. That's also, yeah. a, that's just a thing that I think works on us. There's worked on me. It definitely worked on me. Uh, I think, I think the mundane aspects, there's some mundane aspects that I think that about this movie, I want to talk about cruelty a little bit. Cause I thought this time with like, I mentioned the pharmacy clerk, we haven't really mentioned Stanley's father who Stanley is the quiz quiz boy. Um, 2.0, not Donnie Stanley, uh, Stanley's the young boy who pisses himself, uh, on, you know, live television. Basically his father pushes him so completely throughout the film like you're just doing this now you're just doing this now and it's all because of money and he abuses his child essentially save hitting him but it's more or less as uh, equally as abusive it's well everyone's at different points abuse. in the journey right. they're setting up a trespass that will need and, to be forgiven someday or right not. exactly because at the end of the movie or the end of his arc is that he walks in and asks his father or tells his father sorry you need to be nicer to me dad mm -hmm. and he repeats himself and his dad just tells him to go to sleep and you get the feeling that this is going to be one of those instances for them yeah like you said when Turning he's point. yeah when he in 20 years he's going to say remember that fucking night you know it's that kind of those kinds of baggage that baggage that like persists with us um but yeah dealing with cruelty claudia she deals with her all all that form of cruelty and tj's TJ Mackey's toxic masculinity. Like I'd say that the way in which he interacts with women is cruel. And I'd say that the way in which he is dealt, like he's interviewed, he feels that they're cruel. So everyone feels that someone is cruel. And then there's the character of Thurston, <laughs> who is the Donnie Smith character. He's this guy in the bar who just doesn't like him because they're both lusting after the same bartender, Brad. And uh, Thurston is just dunking on Donnie the whole time. And Donnie gets drunk. And there's just these mundane stabs that life will throw at you all the time that it also, I feel like PT Anderson has something to say about, like, I think he's saying that like life is cruelty in a way like that, like kind of life is suffering, but like people go out of their way to make your loneliness hurt. But sometimes as you know, like Dixon, who's another character in the story, who's the kid who like kind of wraps like uh, the solvency for a crime to uh, John C. Riley. One of the lines he says, if he's worth being hurt, he's worth bringing pain in. And I think that that is kind of and another segment from that is also in his, and he's running from the devil, but the debt is always gaining. So I think that there's like this attention to detail about like, yeah, sometimes we call it the devil or whatnot, but cruelty from others is a debt that's always gaining. But the thing is, if, if it's worth being hurt for, then guess what? 
get ready for pain because <laughs> that's what life is. Life is suffering. We talked like about those lines last time we covered Magnolia. Oh, did we? Did we? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even remember that. But uh, yeah, I'm I think that there's everything. Okay, cool. The I think that that's <laughs> I think those are the two sides of the same coin too because we're there's so much loneliness in the movie. That's I think where cruelty kind of comes from in this movie and this solvency of course would be the ending with uh claudia and jim where it's just like just find someone who's about whatever you're about um the trivial mundane ways in which people cut people down are on great display in this movie especially in the like oneer at the tv show everyone is just about what they're about right they're just like, I have these, this is my career. I'm going to do this. I have big plans. Other people are like, I need you in, you know, set, I need you in wardrobe right now. Why aren't you there? Everyone's just dictating to other people what they need. And everyone is just indifferent to those needs. And I think that that's why he's setting that. That's why he felt it was a great atmosphere to set up this form of cruelty, where it's just seen as commonplace to just demand things out of people. Uh, that's what set is sometimes. And just be like, without any regard to what the other person is about, you just, you know, kind of demand things. And uh, I think that the opposite of that is the solvency, if there is any solvency in this movie, to the question of loneliness, I guess. I don't know. But I don't think, I in the case of Jim and Claudia, I don't think it's about finding, sharing it's stuff not that done. they're about. Yeah. They make their interests shared in any way they can. That's the existentialism of it. It's that you choose, you choose to invest meaning in a person and voila, they have that meaning. It's like, uh, the dying man says, get a girlfriend, do good things with her, share the things. All that bullshit is true. You know, that's the profoundest shit ever that anyone under 20 years old will not appreciate. You can't mm -hmm. appreciate it until you've lived longer it's that there are basic truths about life that you hear over and over, including the truth, which I think is funny, that older people say, oh, you won't understand this till you're older. It's true. And then you'll have repeated moments in your life where you have <laughs> an experience and you think, oh, this is what they meant about that thing they said I'd understand when I was older. It's this feeling. And uh, it sounds dumb, but like, do good things like find people to love, connect with them, do good things with them. That's all that matters. Or like trite bullshit, like people, that's what really matters. It's true. That's why it's trite bullshit. You'll come to appreciate the deep profundity of that someday if you don't already. <laughs> and I think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Pedagogy. Sure. Fine. Who cares? <laughs> because. I it's wanted to say to something me, I noticed that I uh, definitely didn't cover before because this is my first time noticing it or at least having this thought, which is that the music throughout, first of all, I think of anything that's what's wearing on me the most mm -hmm. is the idea of the scenes that are buoyed with just a ding, 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 ding yeah. to like say, don't forget, it's still a montage. It's still a montage. And I'm, I did get a little resentful of like, come off it. This is a scene. Um, right. Just let the score Very punch die drunk out. love too. It's just yeah. like the th the point of the theme when it's one it is of the things. Yeah, it's just like I want to keep keep you anxious all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to point out that that's a pretty cheap, easy way to do that is just put the music in. And I don't know. We rag on Wes Anderson a lot for uh, 
style decisions that draw attention to themselves. Yeah. I think PTA has some yeah. for sure. And one of them is making everything feel like a montage, even when it's not a montage. And he just loves that. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I think something he did in this movie that's masterful is mix the music. The sound design is unique such that the music is way more. And it's a soundtrack, not a score. A lot mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, if you didn't know, was inspired directly by the music of Amy Mann. And Amy Mann s- sings a lot on the soundtrack. And the soundtrack is very loud in the mix. In fact, at the end scene that Abe just mentioned, where the cop is professing her love, you can't you even s- barely tell it. Yeah, I've never that. heard it. Yeah, you need subtitles. You can only see subtitles. Yeah. What you're actually hearing is a song that she's blasting. And the music being so loud, I actually think is a meaningful choice that supports the nature of the story because music is like a track. So the idea of film, including music is usually done 99% of the time because music is an emotion machine. It has the ability to just, as incubus would say, the four right chords can make me cry. Uh, no, no, no. That's third eye blind. The right (laughs) four chords can make me cry. I was like, um, you know, songs are little emotion machines that just force you. They can mm-hmm. be very powerfully force you to feel a certain feeling. And so we use score to make you feel the way we want you to feel for a scene of a film. Right. Everyone knows this. For sure. But I think by blasting the music as loud as the dialogue. If you think about it this way, the dialogue is a stream of information and the soundtrack is a stream of emotional color. Uh, I think it's interesting that he chose to put them on equal footing as if to say the facts of life are important, but you know, what's just as important, how you feel about them. Your emotions are real and your perception affects things just as much as the reality of those things. It's, um, it's also good because character stuff too, because like, not just because she, Claudia listens to her music loudly, but they also do the same thing when they set up Jim is that Jim is someone who can deal very effectively in chaotic situations. And Claudia is someone who develops chaos around herself. Not only does she have a cocaine addiction, but usually be probably because of that, uh, she's well has to have the TV on and be listening to music really loudly. She doesn't think about other people's dealing with that. She just needs something to drown out the noise, so to speak. And he's exactly the kind of guy who can be like, I can focus on what matters. I think that that's why they work a little bit because they're kind of messy, both of them, but that's fine. Um, I also love that he has at one point because of the Tom Cruise conference, he just shows a black screen with the words form a tragedy. Yeah, right, right. And that's when he's talking about pain. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. But it's, everything's very, it's so woven. It does actually remind me of Get Out a bit the, in that the more you hold the fabric up to your eye and look as closely as you can, the more there. you actually see yeah. additional connections that you're like, oh, and that even references you're that. like, oh, Holy it's all shit. made of this carpet. Yeah. Um, yeah. The same thing. I mean, while we're kind of, you mentioned the Wes Anderson thing about like stylistically, uh, in this wow. house, in this house, we like transparency. Um, mm-hmm. So we say the things we say, but I'll double down and say that just like the music, um, the steady cam pushes. And I'm sorry if you can hear 
construction right now. They are like demolishing an apartment next to me. So unfortunately, <laughs> that's like a thing that will happen now. That's and the happenstance. That's the happenstance. So sorry. If, if today. It's, but uh, like something that he does, he also, you mentioned sound, he does it with camera as well, I think. Um, something that uh, P.T. Anderson does a lot, especially in this film, he almost abuses it. Um, and that's just, you know, if you like it or you don't. Uh, he does this thing where he ta- he steady cam pushes on people almost for no reason, a distressingly like kind of urgent approach to a close up. Right. And I think it's ultimately he's doing it because he wants to, he wants this movie to say, like, I am going to quickly get in your face that also it kind of uh, like I'm, it's going to be that kind of you weren't you're surprised that someone is looking at you kind of moment but it's also kind of ties into the uh the thematic amy man score it's not going to stop you know um it's this idea that the camera is literally coming for you um and i think that 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 is true to a lot of the speed and the camera choices that this movie's doing because they're either following people who are in charge or they're coming at someone where there's like a realization or a uh, something's coming for them, um, you know, whether it be realization or it be cancer or whatnot. It's always the everything's propelling towards you constantly. And get this, you know, the part where they actually mouth the lyrics to wise up. Yeah. Each line that the actor sings applies to their situation. Oh, we talked about this in frame rate. Did we? I thought we did. Claudia says it's not what you thought when you first began it, and she's the one whose life we're just getting recontextualized for us right now, like it's right. twisting before our eyes. Yeah. Jimmy says you're sure there's a cure and you have finally found it, and that refers to his cancer. He's going to shoot himself in the brain. That's the cure. Mm. Donnie says you think one drink will shrink till you're underground and living down, which you know he's wasted and he's about to go rob his place of work. And Linda says prepare a list for what you or need. Or and he's a drunk also. Yeah, he's a drunk, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Linda says, prepare a list for what you need before you sign away the deed. And she's about to reconfigure her. Oh, it's Will. Will. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, um, yeah, wise up. Here's a question about what the the last line in the wise up. Because mm-hmm. the refrain is it's not going to stop, not going to stop, repeat the verse. So verse, chorus, verse, chorus, or whatever. And then the last line is, it's not going to stop. And then it's, so give up. So just give up. Yeah. So give up. Yeah. Uh, Let go. Go with the flow. Be present. I don't know. These are the vibes I get. Or it's also framing, if you notice that that little montage, the last two people we like kind of check in with are Linda, Julianne Moore, who takes who attempts mm-hmm. to take her own life. And Jimmy Gator, uh, Thomas Baker Hall, who's about to, who we don't know yet, but the realization with his, uh, his wife Rose is going to allude to, oh, you, you molested our child, even if you don't know that you did, you did. And he's going to be like, well, that's over for me then. You know, I'm going to (laughs) shoot. Goodbye, sir. (laughs) Goodbye to everyone. Uh, So like, I thought that that was an interesting notion. I don't think he's saying like, so there's an option on the table is uh, suicide but i think that he is saying very much so it's a fun flourish lyric matches content i think it's i yeah well i mean here's the thing this that song was written for the movie like it's not like he's finding this 
you know, he's working with Amy Mann to find the lyrics. Uh, yeah, that whole, to me, that whole thing is like, I guess it's what it's saying is, yeah, it could be give up, just, you know, like let yourself be taken by the flow of the stream. But I think it's more like sometimes this messiness causes people to try to commit suicide. So sometimes that's what people feel like they should do. I think mm -hmm. he's very, very uh, like secular when it comes to morality in this movie. There's some dark places this goes. If you allow the extensions of these characters to continue to persist without being stopped, right? Like the continual abuse of a child, um, stuff like that. But everything goes somewhere. Energy is maintained. Like, uh, right. And hey, another Vonnegutism. And so it goes. And so it goes. And the book says we may be through with the past, but it ain't through with us. Right. Um, so it, the cause and effect, the ripples are eternal mm -hmm. and you, they extend far beyond where you can see them or predict them. Yeah. Uh, and they, because the, of the mess, we often require forgiveness mm -hmm. and it's up to each of us to determine what can be forgiven and what can't, because everyone lives with some form of hypocrisy, mm -hmm. um, which I think is very clearly why John C says sometimes people need to be forgiven and sometimes people need to go to jail. That's a very tricky thing on my part, making that call. Mm -hmm. The law mm -hmm. is the law. Heck, if I'm going to break it, you can forgive someone, but that's the tough part. What can we forgive? Tough part of the job. Tough part of walking down the street. Mm -hmm. Pretty, you know, even movies that people find inscrutable, you can still find a line where it basically lays it all out. Yeah, they lay it out. Yeah. Screenwriters want to be heard. They want to be understood for the most part. Yeah. But it yeah. did happen is something that we cut to. Mm -hmm. Is it just talking about the circumstance stuff that were or like the? I think it's talking about coincidence, but it's also alluding to. Why? I think Claudia made it the art as art therapy because of the abuse. Let's unpack. Why is it that in some cases serendipity, like Deus Ex Machina, like I don't know your favorite t action TV show that has Kismet. the character pointing a gun at another character and because of plot armor that person can't die so someone behind them shoots them um serendipity is frustrating in writing yet two of our favorite directors and filmmakers are people who love to discuss the serendipity and coincidence of everything uh, about the random configurations of atoms that ultimately or even that there create is some life. moment yeah. and that's momentous and that's serendipitous and no reason it just came into being but it happened what does that mean that's the core engine of what's exciting about life right it's that who knows what this shit's gonna deliver to my sensory organs next the shit is wild <laughs> i think it's a little more i think well i mean i guess i think i guess i think it's that when the writing makes it this writing makes it so that everything is circumstantial so nothing is like a hack of writing nothing like and we got it because this thing happened at the end and it made everything sum up but you don't get that's the feeling right. that you're propelling the serendipity any, is not out of convenience it's yeah, inconvenient it's inconvenient it's just there and i think yeah. that that's why it's tough a lot of 
I found the first time I watched this movie, I was like hit like it. I mean, I was pretty young, but I got like hit by a truck basically uh, because I just didn't understand how it was a movie. Because I was like, but like, what's the who's the hero, though? <laughs> you know, like who wh- who's who's winning? Who's winning right now? Who's the <laughs> and it, it blew my mind. Um, I think that that's. I think it's as important as ever to kind of be okay with that kind of filmmaking. But it does it did make me think of that question because that type of filmmaking almost excuses people who don't connect all the tissue in a different way, you know? They just kind of write what they want to write. Very Tarantino. You know, he writes what he wants to write. A real with cheese. Or any rom com. Or any rom com. Or any episode of Seinfeld. I mean, they all have ways in which they operate. You know, a rom com has to have a kiss or something like that. But no, like, but meet cutes. They'll like be in yeah. New York and they'll run into each other. Over and it'll and just over. be like bazinga. You we know, were meant to bazinga. What's a bazinga? We because it's like a sexier bazinga. Is bazinga? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. There. Yeah. What else? Yeah. What else do? Yeah. What else? There's so many other things I feel like I could talk about, but they all feel like smaller than the things that we've been talking about so far. Yeah. No, I think we took a big bite out of the, as we said, well, you can digest this film eternally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we owe it to everyone to go until there's nothing to all left of to be said yeah. about Magnolia. Cause that's impossible. So that's howdy do that time, which means trivia behind the scenes information. Uh, anything that really stuck out as far as the crafting of the movie, you already mentioned the pushes. I think uh, a really strong editing joke that comes to mind is the brilliance of using thus spake Zarathustra as for, yeah, as uh, Tom Cruise's intro. And it's being used in a cinematic way because it's this long shot of a house in a suburban neighborhood, by which I mean, it's being used in a Kubrickian way. Like Mm -hmm. 2001 is famous for long still shots with pretty light where you get to look at it like a painting for a long time. And they do that with that shot. Like it's a 2001 Kubricky shot and they're playing 2000 and thus spake. And it's almost like the epitome of a moment that you would never cut off. Right. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to let any music tail out, it's thus spake Zarathustra, the final note. Mm-hmm. And the way they introduce Tom Cruise is he comes on stage and hits stop on the tape deck. So it's like, dun, dun, dun. like you just get a second of the triumph and then it just shuts off. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's like so much funnier than I can explain in words when you yeah, because it's trying in the flow of the movie. Yeah, yeah. it's because That's he's craft. trying to make you, th- he's trying TJ Mackey, the character, is trying to make it's you like, think this is epic, like, this but is I don't what, have time for this This is shit. what it's yeah. like to come, is basically yeah, what he's exactly. saying. But uh, And that's funny because it's like this guy thinks so much of himself. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful... like a Great craft moment. Great little craft moment. Something I found, or I've always found, is pretty amazing about this, is that it works down to the scene. The more it rains, the more chaotic... Uh, the pacing is the faster the film speeds up. And if it's sunny and nice and clear, which he goes out of the way to tell us in a few of these like title or these little cards, interstitial cards that say like calm weather and stuff like that. He wants us to think about the weather before we're thinking about frogs at the end. But the calmer the weather is, the more calm the pacing is, this movie slows down. Oh, that's what I thought. And the Chirons also point out the weather. 
that was what I wanted to say about the score is I think he's doing a similar thing with the weather to point out that weather is like the music of our lives because our lives are like focused on whatever they're focused on. And then in the background, there's this quality of life that's just the weather and we don't control it and it shifts and it has a strong effect on our mood. And like sometimes, you know, are you in a bad mood or is it just too hot today? Like those are kind of, there's overlap. Yeah. There. Are you agitated? That's why yeah, exactly. That's his interest in the weather is that we are products of our environment. We can't mm. not be, we're connected to our surroundings. Is it a full moon and are you a werewolf? Exactly. Yeah. Um, this was the I first movie was cool. in the dark universe. Yeah. He's the first grouping. villain. Yeah. God, that's so true. Claudia was the first character created and the other characters branched off from her. It was going to yeah, be a very short, straightforward that. movie just about Claudia. That's interesting. I think that's interesting. Here's my favorite factoid. I think that we got mm -hmm. from the same, uh, PT Anderson wrote the bulk of the script, uh, at a William H Macy's cabin. Uh, he did it in two weeks, but the reason he, sequestered himself in the cabin is he was afraid to go outside because he had seen a snake. <laughs> yeah. It just makes Fair. me laugh at sometimes you Sounds think it's like these... Charlie Kaufman shit. Yeah. It's just like, Oh no, <laughs> I got to write Magnolia. Uh, it's just uh, funny to me. They reference eight two over a hundred times in the movie. Almost every location contains that's at least no, one that's picture. That's way too many. I had no clue that, that was many. true. Almost every location contains one picture or painting of a Magnolia. Oh yeah. And Fiona Apple, didn't she do most of the paintings in this movie? Yeah. That's, That's crazy. Great. That's crazy. Amy Mann and Fiona Apple fucking killing the music. And uh, let's see. Oh, I like that PTA has been quoted as saying, for better or worse, Magnolia is the best movie I'll probably ever make. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, yeah. Think, I that think he might not be wrong. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see Licorice, Lick Piss, Lick Pete's. Lick Pete's. I'm trying to think I of seen it. if I like, I think I do like Magnolia better than There Will Be Blood. Um, so the Luis Guzman is credited as himself. That's hilarious because he's a dick to the kids. Yeah, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> it's like uh, celebrity. What yeah, speaking know. of the quiz show, mm -hmm. I've heard two different accounts, but it seems that the one is true or that the internet is saying is true. Is that uh, he's the son of a for former uh tv like announcer and so yeah. he saw on sets um like through his father but um i believe i've heard the story so fact check me on it because i didn't really fact check myself because i've heard the story so many times that he worked as like an ad or a pa on a kid's like quiz tv show and he familiarized himself with the protocols and the, the asks of the cast, that's a big thing that he emphasizes is that the casts are always like very demanding um, and the crew is very demanding and that's unique to that kind of atmosphere. And that's it's not a flattering portrait, but it's where he kind of got the design of the sense of like, this is a weird space. Like mm -hmm. you get in, you interact with humans in a strange way here, in a very lonely way. And that kind of said, that's kind of like life in a way. And that made him say, well, let's make a story just about normal people, but with the same kind of set protocols and desensitized kind of interactions with each other. What does yeah. that, what does that do? So I think that that, that's kind of cool to 
me like i i worked on a show one time i want to know what that show is just because i would be like whoever ran that show those producers you created magnolia (laughs) that's just funny this is amazing to me uh they use that line over and over. Jimmy Gator says that the book says we might be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Mm-hmm. The reference is specifically to the opening sentence of a specific book, The Natural History of Nonsense, which was a book debunking superstitious beliefs as mere coincidence. Uh, and the professor who wrote that book served as the host of several television quiz shows in the UK. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's almost like the Felina thing. For right. the ending of Breaking Bad, where I'm like, how is this all? So like, how did that serendipity all is yeah. woven into the DNA of this thing? With, like down from the eight, yeah, the Exodus eight two thing as well. Yeah, it's so funny because it's like, yeah, it's like one of those perfect things because you tell me that fact and I'm like, that is amazing. Who the fuck cares? I don't care about right. trivia ever. Trivia is bullshit to me. Now I know a lot of people don't feel that way, but like, wow. it is. It is. Respect it's the bullshit. segment. We're in the segment. Just and I'm just segment. like, that is so true to the movie. The movie is kind of saying that trivia is, it's not that trivia, I guess, is bullshit. It's not that it's important. It's Here's trivia. It's not bullshit. My last one. PTA said in an interview that Phil Parma is the closest to Philip Seymour Hoffman of any character he's ever played. And I, that's really sweet to know because Phil Parma is a good ass dude. And I like to think that Hoffman was a good ass dude. Yeah. So that please. Oh that yeah. That, me. that pleases me. Yeah, I know you want to just railroad me right out of this, right out of this anti-trivia rant that I'm going on, but you're not going to. Yeah, get away I love with trivia. It. I uh, love trivia, dude. I, it's just funny to me when you like. When I was in one of these quiz teams. Like I did this in high school. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, uh, like I don't know. Like I read some of this stuff, and I'm not saying you do it. You usually pick good trivia. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, baby. Don't change. I'm just saying. There was a factoid that I read. I think it was like an IMDb, which I've decided I'm never going to use because fuck these tr- these Their facts. Trivia sucks, yeah. There's one of them, which is because it's just written by, I don't know, some random Anyone. person. Anyone. Yeah. Uh, that I laughed at, which was that uh, it was like, uh, it takes a lot from uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is heavily influenced by uh, filmmaker Robert Altman, which is very true. That's Magnolia, of, like it's a good movie to bring up. Uh, when you're mentioning Magnolia is the other director, especially like Nashville and some of his sweeping genres, uh, sweeping drama films. Um, and, his, and the trivia was like, which is interesting <laughs> because both of those directors, last names start with an A and end with an N. Shut up. Yes, dude. It reminds me of like the NBA. You know what else starts with an A and ends with an N? Ass clown. And Anders' sons. Anders' son. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It ends with, I guess, an S though. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it reminds me of the NBA because at some point in like the 2000s, they like made a database of all the factoids of all the things so a computer could deal with it. And I'm pretty sure that they just have like a filter like the person the commentator just has a computer in front of them that has like this database and it's just like give me some good facts about like what is happening in this uh, in this game right now and it's like Mm -hmm. always comes out as some bullshit like this is the highest he's ever scored eight like or the fastest he's ever scored 18 points on a sunday in march you know it's like who gives a fuck 
And it's, I don't know, it's this interesting obsession with trivia that I, I think Paul Thomas Anderson also thinks is funny. Um, yeah. Well, that's an episode because Abe's railing against the very thing that we're doing and talking about how boring it is. So I think it's time to wrap up then. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 That's right. When Abe is providing very cogent arguments as to why you shouldn't be listening to this right now, mm-hmm. um, I think it's time to wrap up. But man, how about the diegesis and pedagogy segments? You can't shit on those. Those are strong. Those are strong. Uh, yeah. I'll make my own podcast. <laughs> you know what? Director Peace Theater is almost entirely how do you do that? Mm-hmm. So where do you even get off, sir? That's true. Trivia is an expansive term. You're right. I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to go cry now. Thanks. Trivia can also imply like, I don't know. I guess it implies it's trivial because that's the whole point. But to Dingo me, bang. trivia <laughs> also means the artistic intent behind the methodologies used. That's not that trivial. That's not that but trivial. But it is trivia. That's true. I guess, yeah, that's true. I mean, history in mass is not trivial, but it's where most of trivia comes from. You can posit any statement the way that you want it anyway. So this sucks. Who can this say? Bad. Go to <laughs> patreon.com slash small beans to support us and hear a bunch of exclusive podcast now, content. Now you're getting it. Yeah. Uh, you can check out, where's our merch story? T Public. Go to tea public it's not a just good search for small beans S- yeah. small beans stores are the name of our <laughs> thing because yeah. we couldn't get small beans because someone else has it but i don't think there's a... look out but it's at the, the bottom it's in the description of this uh it's in the description of this yeah, uh, podcast so you're it's good on the show notes at patreon.com slash small beans or any of them look, it's on look all out for the relaunch of one upsmanship in june oh shit this is coming out tomorrow too or yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I think Just we're allowed to say now. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to say it a lot so that we get people, you know, people don't miss the boat. But basically, it's a time slot, like a time slot shift mm-hmm. when you used to have to follow Futurama from night to night. Um, mm-hmm. One Upsmanship is leaving the Patreon platform and going over to iHeartRadio. It's going to spin off. It's going to spin off from Small Beans. So. Uh, it'll still be exactly the same show. It'll just happen weekly and it'll be on iHeartRadio. So if you find yourself missing one upsmanship come June, make sure you go to your, you, you know, your podcasting app and type in one upsmanship instead of just small mm. beans. Yeah. Uh, and small beans will still release shit at the exact same rate. We're not lessening content. Right. It's just that You're show welcome. has done well. It's just that show. And iHeart was like, Hey, that's a show we would like to have on our network. And we're like, yeah, for the money. More people will hear it that way <laughs> and we get some money. Yeah, that's how it works. Um, yep. The other thing that we like to announce or I like to announce uh, is that come join us if you are, if you use Discord, if you don't know what Discord is, maybe look into it if you're interested in this kind of thing. On Monday nights, we have a movie night. Michael and I basically force each other to watch a movie every Monday or maybe two. And we go... Hey, people, join us, watch and witness that event. And so they go into uh, the Discord uh, for Small Beans, which you can, if you aren't don't have access to, you can just uh, DM us on Patreon and we'll give you a link. And um, yeah, you can come listen to us watch movies and watch movies yourselves and talk and chat. It's a fun night, 6 p.m. Mondays. 
Give us a review on the Apple iTunes store. <laughs> let's see. Uh, trivia. Let's see. Trivia. Let's Small see. Small beans trivia. Bye, everyone. Bye. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.